You're listening to the First Baptist Rockdale Sunday Sermons Podcast. First Baptist Rockdale is a church dedicated to making disciples who make disciples. We hope you enjoy this week's message. As we've been walking through the book of Esther, uh, we've, we've reached the climax. Last week, Bill Whitmire uh, gave us the, the climax of Esther. Esther is um, in the room with the man who is seeking to destroy all of her people and with her husband, the king of Persia. Uh, and she comes to the point to point out that man and say, this is the guy who's trying to kill all of my family. This is the guy who would have me to be killed as well. Uh, the king, in a rage, uh, ultimately executes him. And we have this great reversal, right, of fortunes from Haman, the enemy of the Jews, um, to Esther and her people um, conquering over um, that Villain. While the villain has been vanquished, though, there is still some lingering trouble down the way, right? Just because someone is no longer in the story doesn't mean that the story stops. And what is going on in this story is even though Haman is dead, there is still a day coming that he appointed, that the king agreed to, um, that would lead to the massacre of the Jewish people. A specific date. Um, where the, the enemies of the Jews could rise up and kill any one of them that they wanted. And the Jews had no recourse, no right of self-defense, right? We, we claim that right here in America, right? Um, it's the self-defense right. There was none of that. Uh, they were going to be helpless lambs laid out for slaughter. Um, and so there is still a dark cloud hanging, even in the midst of victory in this story. I want to say real quick, I noticed that Bill is not here today. That's a common thing, by the way. They come, they preach, they leave. No, um, Bill isn't here today, which likely means that he's preaching at First Baptist Milano today. Um, First Baptist Milano is one of our sister churches in Milano, um, and uh, they have had a rough time recently. Their pastor, Brother Dave, um, had a serious medical issue six months ago. Um, and he has not been able to regain the pulpit that entire time. So during the middle of this pandemic, with all of the chaos that's going on, that church in Milano, um, our, our secretary here, uh, Carolyn Vinton, uh, attends out at First Baptist Milano. Um, that church has been going through a very rough season. Um, and I'm thankful that Bill was able to um, help them out this Sunday in preaching and filling their pulpit. Um, and so just be in prayer for him. He's their service, I think their service starts at 11, so they're about to uh, kick off the singing, and he's probably sweating bullets right now, um, but thankful that I'm not there to listen to him, I'm sure. Um, but, but, but think about that church, pray for that church, just generally speaking, First Baptist Milano, um, it's a gospel witness out in that region of our county, um, and they're hurting um, because their pastor has been out of commission for so long, uh, and if you know Brother Dave, or if you've been equated with him, um, you can pray for his, even if you don't know him, you can pray for him, um, but you can pray for his recovery. Uh, it's a slow go for him and has been um, for quite a while. That's a side note, free of charge, but Bill, I know you're going to do a good job. Uh, so let me read a little bit. Esther chapter 8, we're in Esther chapter 8. If you know where the book of Esther is, good job. If you don't, um, you haven't been here in a while, okay? That's all I'm going to say. You haven't been here in a while. There's a table of contents in the front of your Bible. It'll help you find it. But Esther chapter 8, this is what uh, the Bible says, starting in verse 1. It says, On that day, the day that Haman was killed, uh, King Ahasuerus gave to Queen Esther the house of Haman, the enemy of the Jews, and Mordecai came before the king. <clears throat> For Esther had told, uh, uh, told what he was to her, which is her cousin, 
Uh, and the king took off his signet ring, which he had taken from Haman, and he gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. So we have this reversal, right, where Haman was in charge, second in command. And now Mordecai has ascended from a guy working at the city gate um, to second in command as the queen's close relative. Then Esther, verse 3, spoke again to the king. She fell at his feet and wept and pleaded with him to avert the evil plan of Haman the Agagite and the plot that he had devised against the Jews. And when the king held out the golden scepter for the second time to Esther, Esther rose, stood before the king, and said, If it pleases the king, and if I have found favor in his sight, and if the thing seems right before the king, and, uh, and I am pleasing in his eye, let an order be written to revoke the letters devised by Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, which he wrote to destroy the Jews who were in all the provinces of the king. For how can I bear to see the calamity that is coming on my people? Or how can I bear to see the destruction of my kindred? Then King Ahasuerus said to Queen Esther and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, and they have hanged him on the gallows, because he intended to lay hands on the Jews. But you may write as you please with regard to the Jews in the name of the king, and seal it with the king's ring. For an edict written in the king's name, uh, in the name of the king, and sealed with the king's uh, ring, cannot be revoked. And so the story um, takes a turn. Esther goes before the king, uh, approaches him unbidden for the second time in this story at great risk to herself personally, um, though it seems less likely that he would not be predisposed to favor her at this time, um, goes before him, falls down his feet, and begs him um, to, to revoke the law that he has already made. Um, the law was the, the, there would be a day when the Jews could be killed. And, and she said, please, please, please revoke this law. The problem with that request was it was unable to be granted. Uh, it's not that King Ahasuerus wouldn't have granted that. It's that in the way in which they were structured, there were laws that were made that could not be revoked. Um, they would not be revoked. If you read it here um, in the book of Esther, you see that a couple of times favored. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll read about uh, Daniel, the story of Daniel in the lion's den. The reason Daniel ended up in the lion's den is because King Darius had made a law um, at the advice of his advisors um, that when it turned to Daniel, he did not want to happen, but he had to follow through. Because a law made by the king, sealed with the king's ring and in his name, couldn't be revoked. You couldn't just say that law is no longer in effect. And that created kind of this tension because the day of destruction for the Jews was still coming. It was still on its way. So Esther pleads, but the king can't grant her specific request because some laws are unchangeable. Some of the laws in the Persian Empire were totally, completely unchangeable. But you know what? That's true of us today. There are some laws that are utterly and completely unchangeable. Uh, we as Christians read the Bible, and we read it through New Testament eyes. I hope you read it through New Testament eyes, with an eye to Jesus Christ, with an eye to what Jesus is doing in and among the world. You don't read the Old Testament and think, oh, that was an interesting story, but you see Christ uh, portrayed over it. It colors the way in which we see the Old Testament. If you read the Old Testament, there are laws that are made, uh, and the consequences for those laws are laid out clearly throughout Scripture. And if you go to the very, very beginning 
uh, Genesis chapter 2, God places Adam and Eve in this garden, the man and the woman in this beautiful, perfect garden, and he gives them one command to obey, one specific command, don't do this thing. And the don't do this thing was to eat from a specific tree, and of course, if you tell uh, someone not to do something, they are inevitably going to do that thing. And so Adam and Eve ate from the tree, and the law said, if you eat from this tree, you will die. And that law was made back at the very beginning of time, and today, you know, six, eight thousand years later, it is still in effect. If you choose to disobey God's command, if you choose to live as an enemy of God, if God tells you not to do something and you choose to do it instead, you are under that law. There has never come a time when God has just got up and said, you know what? Disobedience to my will is now okay. It is still a crime to commit. That law has not changed. That law will not change. It is an eternal law decreed by God. Just like the Persian king made a law that couldn't be changed, God has made a law that will not change. One of the characteristics of God, by the way, is that he is unchanging, right? He is steady. He is constant. So what he says, he means, and what he said back in Genesis 2, that disobedience leads to death, is still in effect today. That, by the way, dear Christian, should give you a little pause. It should give you a little fear. It should strike in you something that says, oh no, that's bad news. In fact, one of the ways I learned to share the gospel was a good news, bad news, uh, actually the other way around, it's bad news, good news situation. And you share the bad news, which is truth, that you are a sinner, and because of your sin, it leads to death. Right? And, but if you don't understand the bad news... The good news never really becomes that good. And so right now I want you to sit where Esther sat and recognize that there is destruction coming for all who have chosen to live in disobedience. In Esther's time there was destruction coming for her people because of who they were, because a law was made. God has decreed destruction on those who will disobey. As you sit here today and I look at your beautiful little faces, I see wicked, wicked, every single one of you bound for perdition. This is your destiny. God decreed the law. The law is in effect, and it has not been revoked. It cannot be revoked. But where a law can't be revoked, there can be another law placed on top of that law. Right? There can be a secondary law placed as well. And that's what uh, Esther and Mordecai devised. The king says, here's the ring. Well, I can't revoke my law. You can write another law. And so we can have two laws in conflict with each other. Verse 9, the king's scribes were summoned, the men who would write it. And at that time, in the third month, which is the month of Sivan, on the 23rd day, an edict was written according to all that Mordecai Commanded. This is the reversal because Haman wrote the first one. Mordecai is writing this one. Uh, concerning the Jews to the satraps, the governors, the officials from India to Ethiopia, 127 provinces. And to each province it was written in its own script, and to each people and in their own language, and to the Jews also in their script and their language. And he wrote in the name of King Ahasuerus, and he sealed it with the king's signet ring. 
And then he sent the letters by mounted couriers riding on swift horses that were used in the king's service, bred from the royal stud, saying that the king allowed the Jews who were in every city to gather and defend their lives, to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate any armed force of any people or province that might attack them, um, children and women included, that's rough, and to plunder their goods. On one day throughout all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar. And a copy of what was written was to be issued um, as a decree in every province being publicly displayed to all the peoples. And the Jews were to be ready on that day to take vengeance on their enemies. So the couriers mounted on swift horses that were used in the king's service. And they rode out hurriedly, urged by the king's command. And the decree was issued in Susa, the citadel. So the secondary decree is basically, uh, yes, you can attack us, but we can attack you as well. And the wording is the same. You may wonder why uh, that uses kind of this multi-form um, uh, thing about uh, defending their lives, destroy, kill, annihilate. That seems a little overkill, right? You can destroy, you can kill, you can annihilate. Women and children included, that, that sort of total warfare is, is, is hard for us, but that was the exact wording of Haman's decree. They took Haman's decree and they flipped it over. They said, while they may come to destroy, kill, and annihilate all of the Jews on this day, on that same day, the Jews have every right to defend themselves, to take up their arms, to find those who might be looking to seek to do them harm, and they can destroy, kill, and annihilate as well. They have the same right as you have on that day. And while the law that Haman made, he imposed under the king's name, was still in effect, a new law was imposed as well. New laws can contradict old laws. That's what we had. In fact, you would go to the town bulletin board and you would look at the town bulletin board and you'd be like, oh, hey, the day's coming when I get to kill the Jews. That looks like a good day. And, and take their stuff. By the way, killing the Jews may not be the highlight of their day, but taking their stuff seems like a pretty good deal, right? You can get their stuff, their boats, their cars, their pickup trucks, whatever. Um, donkeys, I guess, probably more likely than boats and cars and pickup trucks. But you see it on the bulletin board there and then you look just right next to it written in your language and every other language that, that's known at the time. You're like, what's this new thing saying? It says, oh, by the way, they can kill you if you try to kill them. And you're like, well, now the day seems a little different. Right now, all of a sudden, I'm not sure if I want to participate in this day, right? It seems like a day that maybe that might be for the more hardcore people among us. I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to get involved in a day when I might get killed as well. I thought I was going to plunder them. I thought I was going to come home uh, with a bag full of gold and nice clothes, but now I'm going to stay home. That was the idea behind the law, right? To set up a secondary law that says, yes, you can, but really do you want to, right? My life uh, for my kids, by the way, is, is parenting by way of choices. My kids have choices, right? Sometimes they can choose to obey, uh, and do what's right, and they will be uh, rewarded or not, but they will, they will live, which is nice, uh, right? But they can also choose not to do that, right? And it's their, it's their decision, right? I'm not, I'm not a dictator. Um, but if you choose not to do that, I hope the consequences are bad enough that you choose to do it next time. That's my, that's my hope, right? And maybe you'll get a redo, 
right? That's Karen Purvis right there. Let's do this again. Um, and you maybe get a redo to try again um, before the full weight of the consequences comes down on you. Um, but there's, there, that's the way. I'm all about choices. Like, yes, you can choose not to do that. Uh, and I can choose to whoop you, right? Like, that's just, those are choices. We have choices that we make. Uh, I'll also tell my kids often, right? Uh, play stupid games, win stupid prizes. That's, that's what you get sometimes. If you choose uh, to do something stupid, sometimes you get something stupid. My recommendation, by the way, don't play stupid games, right? And then all the prizes aren't stupid. Uh, but new laws can contradict old laws. Uh, it's not that the law that Haman uh, issued was all of a sudden invalidated. It's that there was a secondary law that you could choose to avail yourself of. Right? And if we look at this in terms of our eternal salvation, the old law is that there is death that comes to all mankind by sin. Sin causes death. It started in Genesis chapter 3, officially, where sin first entered. Um, after the garden was made in 1 and 2, sin enters, so death is the natural consequences. Sin equals death. That is the unchangeable law of God. It will never be changed. But God, through the person of Jesus Christ, drew near to us and instituted a secondary law that you can choose to avail yourself of. You can choose to live under a new law, which means you live your life underneath Jesus Christ, and it equals life. Instead of living under uh, like, uh, the, the stain of sin and death, you can live under the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ in grace and life. And those are your choices. But you, you, you have to live under one of those two laws. right? You can't look and be, uh, I'm not, I'm not going to choose either of those. I'd like a third option, please. There is no door number three. You get door one or you get door two. And if you don't choose any door, door one is in effect for you. That is the natural end of all mankind. This is why evangelism is so important. Because there are people in our world right now who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ came to die on the cross for your sins so that you could be forgiven and have eternal life. Right? They have never heard that message, that there is life found in Jesus Christ. And so we send these rock stars of Christianity around the world, and they go and they share the gospel to people who have never, ever heard it before. Right? Because they know that everyone by nature is under the stain of death, the first law given in the garden. But there is a new law that they could be under if they would choose to avail themselves of if they would choose to put themselves under that law, there would be life. That is why we take the Lottie Moon Christmas offering every year. That's why the number for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering of $5,000 is bigger than the number for North American missions or Texas missions because what they're doing, what our international missionaries are doing, is amazing work that is absolutely vital to the salvation of the nations. So just a side note, I'm not really here to beat the bush to say uh, give to the Lottie Moon offering, except to say you should give generously there because that work is work that needs to be done because there is entire people groups who are living underneath the stain of death, the law of death. There is no life or hope for them. And we can equip people to go and share life. So let's be 
that sort of church. But there's a new law. New laws don't necessarily have to uh, take the place of old laws, but they can counter, counteract them to take the old law and make it virtually powerless because of the power of the new law. We're going to continue now in verse 15. It says, Then Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal robes of blue and white and with a golden crown and a robe of fine linen and purple. And the city of Susa shouted and rejoiced. And the Jews had light and gladness and joy and honor. And in every province and in every city, wherever the king's command and his edict reached, there was gladness and joy among the Jews, a feast and a holiday. And many of the peoples of the country declared themselves to be Jews, for the fear of the Jews had fallen on them. I like that, by the way. Some guy somewhere uh, is like, uh, the Jews can do what? Yeah, I'm Jewish now. I feel pretty sure that my grandpappy on my mama's side was Jewish. I'm, this is like us. Every person in Texas is Native American, right? We're like, well, you know, I'm pretty sure if you go back, right, my family story, I have no idea, right? I'm nervous to do any genealogy work to find out my family story is all a lie. My family story is that like my great-great-grandfather is Kiwana Parker. Kiwana Parker is a fairly... A uh, fairly noteworthy Comanche Indian chief. If you're a Texas history person, that name should mean something to you. If not, well, you know what? My grandfather's important, okay? So just deal with it. Uh, that's my family story, right? And it makes sense because there, there was an intermarriage right there uh, uh, with, with, with Kawana Parker and Cynthia Ann Parker. And, and my family comes from that line. And if I look in the mirror hard enough, I can kind of see it. I'm like, yeah, I can see it, right? I can see it. We're all, that's what it was happening here with the Jews. They're like, the Jews can do, yeah, no, I'm a Jew. Yeah, I've got that family story. I remember that story. Yes, 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 I am uh, definitely a Jew today. Because they didn't want to be involved in being on the other side. Because when the new law was issued, right, the Jewish people had cause for great celebration. Because what was going to be a day of absolute destruction for them is going to turn to a day of ultimate victory for them. We'll read the report of how that ultimate victory is next week. Um, but that day causes cause for celebration because those people who live under the new law instead of under the old law have reason to celebrate. Right? Us as Christians who live under the new law of grace found in the, in, through the cross of Jesus Christ, the reason we sing songs about the blood of Jesus, the reason we sing songs about the cross, the old rugged cross of Jesus, it's not because we have some weird fixation on death, right? It's not because we have some weird fixation on, 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 on suffering and agony. It's because what was accomplished on the cross changes everything, right? And if we live as, as, as Easter Christians who understand the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if we live as that sort of person, we have reason to celebrate. We have great joy because we know that the stain of death has been removed and life has been given to us instead. Right? We've been imputed, been, been given righteousness that's not ours. What a great, great gift it is. The Jews in that day celebrated because they had a reprieve from death to life. We today celebrate that we have a reprieve from death to life. We live a new life in Jesus Christ. We don't fear death. We don't fear the end of this thing because we know there's life on the other side. There's something better. So what does that mean to you today? It means you need to live 
under the law of Jesus Christ. If you're here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you might have been in church a lot, you might have been a part of church a lot, you might have heard some sermons in your life, I want you to know any life outside of Christ leads to death. There is a chasm that you cannot cross. Other religions in the world will say be good, do good things, walk old ladies across the street, pay for someone's rent, take care of your mama, be nice to dogs, be a good person, right? They give you a list, and the list is never-endingly long. It just keeps new things getting added to it all the time because the world continues to change. They say, be good, do good, and if you do enough good things while you're a sinner, while you're wicked, while you're depraved, and you're bound for something bad, if you're good enough, slowly you will walk down God. And you will meet God along the way as you do good things, and you will be okay. If you reach that point, you'll be uh, righteous, right? And then like Hindu and Buddhism, right, you reach some sort of state of uh, nirvana where you become one with the universe because your righteous deeds have become good enough uh, to, to, to wash away all of your wicked deeds. It might go through a few reincarnations along the way to get there, but you're a work in progress, if you go to, to, to Islam, right, if you keep the five pillars of Islam, if you give your alms, if you make your, your trip to Mecca, right, if you do all of these things, if you perform your prayers at the appropriate time in the appropriate direction, and if you do these things ritualistically enough, then you'll receive forgiveness, then you'll be okay. Even inside of Christianity, we have this treadmill faith, right? I, I love the people who live behind us, right? Our, our Catholic uh, friends and neighbors. But inside of the Catholic faith, right, there's this idea that, that if you do these things, then you walk down your goodness. Right? You slowly approach. You have means of grace, right? If you, if you, if you give to the church, uh, you have a means of grace. If you go... Uh, to confession, you have a means of grace. If you um, get married, that's a means of grace. That's weird, by the way, that marriage somehow fits into a sacrament, but good for us, right? Um, right, but, but they have all the sacraments, and if you follow the sacraments, if you keep the sacraments, if you do the sacraments, at the end of your life, you're probably still not good enough, by the way, but there will be a purging time, and then you'll walk out on the other side because you were good enough, you walked it down to the other side. I'm going to tell you something. If you're here today and you think I can be good enough to get to the other side, you will never be good enough. You're not good. Your mama might have told you you were good. She lied to you. She's not good either. You're not good. You might do some nice things from time to time. You might be better than the neighbor kids. right? You might look better than your neighbors, but you're not good. Because standing next to a holy, righteous God, you are filthy. I love the story of Isaiah. Isaiah is brought into the throne room of God. God reveals his majesty uh, to Isaiah. And Isaiah was a good prophet of God. He falls on his, his knees. He says, woe to me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among people of unclean lips. He recognized in that moment when he saw the holiness of God, I don't have it. Woe is me. 
That's the truth of every single one of us. Whether you think you're, you're good or not, you are not good and you can never be good enough. That's the bad news. If you try to be good enough, you will always live under the stain of death. But the good news is you don't have to be good. I'm not telling you to live like a devil. But you don't have to be good. Because Christ was good. Christ is good. The person of Jesus Christ is goodness itself wrapped up in humanity, right? He, he is good. And because he's good, he is able to give goodness to you through faith. It's not that you earn it. It's not that you pray enough or you attend church enough or you give enough money uh, into the offering plate somewhere. He gives it to you freely because he loves you. You And what you have to do to receive that free gift is call out to Jesus Christ for salvation. To uh, the ABCs of salvation, I don't love that necessarily 100%. Uh, to admit you're a sinner, you have to recognize that your sin separates you from a holy, righteous God. And then you have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. Call out to Jesus Christ. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It's not you might be saved. It's, that, it's not that you'll be saved temporarily until you mess up the next time. It's not that your salvation is conditional based on some other things. It says you will be saved. You can know for sure without a shadow of a doubt that your salvation is secure because Jesus is good. You're not. So stop trusting your goodness. Stop trying to be good and fall on your knees like Esther fell on her knees before her wicked husband. Fall on your knees before the all-powerful, good, loving God and say, God, please save me. And if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. There is no other condition for that. There's not. We can add some. Church tenants, stop watching that TV show. Whatever. We can add all the conditions we want, but they're all garbage. Anything added to faith, right, anything added to faith takes away the power of the, of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we, we trust Jesus because he's able to do that. So if that's you today and you need to call out to Jesus Christ, we're going to have an invitation in a second. We're going to sing a song. I don't even know what the song is, something. Uh, we're going to sing a song. Uh, and we don't sing long, right? Uh, right? Some of y'all roll back 30 years, right? We'll go another verse, another verse, another verse. We play just as I am, we go through it twice, just because. Right? There's like 19 verses just as I am. Seven, eight. There's a new one every, every week. Right? We, don't, we don't go long. I don't, I don't hold the invitation forever because I believe that if God is moving on your heart, that you're going to go and you're going to step out. So if you need to make a confession to say, today I need to call out to Jesus Christ, I need to live underneath this new law, not this old law that leads to death, I want you to come. I want you to come right away. Right? You can come before the first note is played. Well, they're trying to figure out how to sync up on the first note. You can start coming. It's okay. You can come. Right? But wherever you are, whatever's going on in your life, you need to live under that new law. And if you're already a believer in Jesus Christ, and if this is true, that there's an old law that leads to death, and there's a new law that can lead to life, why aren't you telling people the new law? Why? Why do you go to work? Why do you go to school? Why do you go to the shopping center? Why do you act like this is not the truth? Because it is. And if the reason you act like it's not the truth is because you don't want to offend, you don't want to upset, you don't want to put people in a weird spot, 
like I, I'm sympathetic to that, but really, guys, we're just finding garbage reasons to behave like garbage Christians. I need you to stop it. This, this world, Byland County, this area that we live in right now, is lost and going to hell, be, and there are so many Christians here who know truth. So many of us who know truth. I'm like, well, maybe they'll find it along the way. They're going to find it along the way when you show them truth, when you tell them truth, when you point out that there is hope in Jesus Christ and there is not hope anywhere else. There's not hope in politics. There's not hope in other religions. There's not hope in humanism. Like, I'm, I'm just going to, we're going to be good people because we're all naturally geared to good people. There's not hope in modern psychology. I have a psychology degree. I promise you, it is a, a endless void of mistakes, right? There's not hope right? In self-help books, there's not hope in anything other than Jesus Christ. In this town needs hope. Your family needs hope. Some of you are going to have awkward Thanksgivings this year. You may actually have people at your house. I call you renegades, by the way, right? You have people at your house who need hope. Tell them hope. Give them truth. Give them a reason to be thankful because Christ died for them. And while the old law is still in effect, a new law can be submitted to. They can be under the new law of life. Let's pray.